In hindsight, it was never really clear where that job came from. A suggestion falling out from between strangers' lips. A whisper contrived its way through our networks. Later, we'd find out there was the tenders themselves who gave us that job. We should have really questioned it more at the time, but I'm not sure it had stayed at hand. They were smuggling what they were calling a weapon. Right under the noses of us who'd banished them from our streets. We were as quick as an eel to bait. It's a small thing, just a stitch on our story's tapestry, but even now I don't know whether they use that word, weapon, as part of that bait, or whether that's really, truly, how they saw Oaken. Anyway, there was only one group I trusted with a job like that. See, the maybes are all different. Radical cells, each with their own skills and personality. The triumphant maybe they were professionals, through and through. The defiant were ruthless, the practical well, the clues in the name. How the indifferent kept their informant network spinning, I'll never know. Then, there were the jubilant. Now, they weren't professional or ruthless. They weren't calculating and swift-tongued. But they had their ways. They were resourceful, broad-hearted and brave. Uncertain in this way that kept them open to other means of doing things. Others liked to dismiss them. All they saw was the messes they created. But they never watched for long enough to see that no matter how dire the situation, they always found a way back out. Welcome to These Flimsy Rituals, an actual play podcast focused on telling small stories in big worlds. Today we're continuing our game of Blades in the Dark by John Harper, and joining me is Thryn Henderson. Hi, I'm Thryn, and you can find me on Twitter at Thryn. Elizabeth Simones. Hi, I'm Elizabeth, and you can find me on Twitter at Games. Beck Mihalik. Hi, I'm Beck, and you can find me on Twitter at R underscore Mihalik. Steve Martin. Hey, I'm Steve, and I'm on Twitter at purple underscore Steve. And Ryan Evans. Hello, I'm Ryan, and you can find me on Twitter at BrainXray. And I'm your host, Adam Dixon. You can follow me on Twitter at TDixon, and you can follow the show on Twitter at Flimsy Rituals. And also, all of the music featured in this season is from Satin by Kai Engel. Okay, shall we pick up? More or less from where we left off. Oaken, you wake, looking up at the moonlight sky. You can tell that you're still in Embrace, but you're not in your room in that tower, in the headquarters of the Tenders of the Dawn Embers anymore. You are somewhere else. And the first thing that you notice are there are four faces 
hovering over you, wearing a very similar expression of just puzzlement and confusion. And before I ask what your response is, I just, for us and for the listeners, would everyone else mind just very quickly, very briefly going over who you're playing this season? So character name, pronouns, what rulebook you're playing, and a very brief, you know, who they are in the story. So I am playing Ezra Graft. They use they, them pronouns. I am playing the Eruvian playbook, The Forger. So Ezra is a kind of part binder, part mechanic. They make spirit-infused wooden and metal creepy, eerie machines using bits of their own soul. Nice. I'm going to be playing a character using the playbook of the ghost that was formerly the character playbook the hound. My character is called Ivar. Uh, He uses he, him pronouns and he's a ghost lawman. I'm playing Mia Gorse. Say use pronouns that are say, say, sem. Say are a fashion designer who has recently started to be taken interest in the revolution happening in this town or this city. They look like a sea slug. <laughs> uh, the playbook is The Mirage, and it's basically all about using showmanship instead of violence to solve problems. And I'm playing Ash, Ash Pinder, he, him who is a lurk who solves problems by running away from them and occasionally setting them on fire. The two moods. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so yeah, Oaken, this is who you wake up to see. Okay, I guess I should talk about Oaken a little bit. Yeah, let's do that. So I'm playing Oaken Nimhulief, he, him, and I'm playing the Shriek playbook. Kind of, I've changed a few things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we we changed a few things just to make it fit Oaken. This is a lawless town as far as rules are concerned. No gods, no masters. Yeah. So we met Oaken in the last episode when we played the skeletons, and that was taking Oaken from when we first met him, like way back when we did the Shards and Fragments episode called Shards and Fragments Eolif. And he was involved <laughs> in killing relics, a remnant there. And then we played the Skeletons episode to see who he had become as he kind of slipped through time over a period of a few hundred years. And then, yeah, now we're seeing who Oaken is now as we play this game and seeing who he's become. So you went for the Shriek playbook in the end. Yeah. An avatar of chaos and destruction. (laughs) It's very good. It's kind of about using demonic power, but we've changed it a little bit. So it's Oaken using the power of the remnants. Yeah. And I guess in particular, those two remnants are Rodella, the great salamander of Dawn, who is one of the dead remnants in the city, who is all about like regrowth, who the jackals generally draw from. But also for Oaken, it's it's also sort of relict, right? Oh, uh, yeah, because Oaken killed and ate a bit of relict. And you have that connection through, as we saw in like the last episode, the bee. So yeah, I guess we're understanding demonic in this game and stuff like essence to be stuff that draws from remnants or the spirit web and just generally that kind of arcane structure that exists in our world. So I think one of the main things we changed from the Shriek book was your XP trigger, if I remember right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. 
Um, we've changed it so that I earn XP by addressing challenges using the power of the remnants. Oh, nice. We'll work on like exactly how that works. But yeah, we're definitely focusing it more on drawing on what you're good at. Yeah. And drawing on the weirdness that Oaken is kind of tied to at the minute. Yeah, that specific flavour of weirdness. Yes, yeah, yeah. So we saw Oaken last season going through all of his changes. What what does Oaken look like now? As the others open this box, what do they see? Oh, wow. I, I, I imagine Oaken himself is incredibly dishevelled by now. Because he's been asleep for quite a while. He's not really been taken care of anymore. You know, they're not showing him off. They've got they've got the new Oaken for that. So he's this incredibly scruffy, dirty man curled up in this box, maybe like on a little bed of like very fine fabrics or whatever he was bundled in there with. We risked our lives. <laughs> this dirty, stinky man. <laughs> we risked our lives for a dirty, stinky boy. <laughs> thrown in a coffin with some silk dusters yes Uh, i think i think one really distinctive thing about oaken at the moment is he's got a really big hole in his side where his third arm used to be did you also say last episode that oaken had started putting tattoos on himself as well did i to remember stuff i think there was a point where he started sticking poking himself (laughs) (laughs) We risked our lives for a dirty, stinky boy covered with stick-and-poke diary entries written upside down. <laughs> My journal. <laughs> oh, yeah, they're all upside down. That's way worse somehow. <laughs> so only Oaken can read them. Okay, um, so before we get to it, uh, should we go over the last few bits of Oaken? So what stats did you take? Um, I took one in survey. Because, you know, Oaken, Oaken was a jackal. He was a, he was an okay jackal. Got pretty good by the end. So he's got that kind of combat stuff. He's got one in survey, one in prowl, and two in skirmish. Nice. And two in command as well, which comes a lot from the Shriek book, I think. And it sort of makes sense with him being, like, this ex-noble. Yeah. Who we saw quite a lot bossing people around, even if not now. But he used to be very bossy, and that never goes away, really. Yeah. So he's got two in a tune as well, because his connection to Mel and the Remnants gives him that extra sensitivity. And what special abilities has he got? Ooh. So he has Patron's Favour, where he can spend a downtime to communicate with his it says demon, but to communicate with Mel and communicate with the remnants as a font of power, and that means he gains one temporary action dot in either study, prowl, or sway, which nice. lasts for one score. And the other is super custom, which is jackal. <laughs> and it's he can push himself to do one of the following move to any location on the field of battle that he can see, or perform a feat of strength that verges on superhuman. So I think this was like meshing together two very similar moves from the Cutter playbook, and I think it's like the Tiger playbook from the Aruvian list, where it's like pushing yourself to do two different things, and we took one from each, because that just seemed to yeah. fit Oaken a little bit better. 
yeah, that's just his like, oh look how cool I am kind yeah. of move. And I think it also ties into Oaken's humanity, which we saw was, if I remember right, is a, like a superb, perfect sense of balance, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. So who did you take as your friend and rival, and what is Oaken's vice? So my friend is Mal. Okay. And my my enemy is my own family. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> but yeah. no family. Yeah, as we saw in the last episode, Oaken's family is trying to kill him. Typical family drama. Um, my vice, I just went with practicing with my spear. <laughs> Which isn't a euphemism. <laughs> it's... <laughs> Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Oaken's most treasured possession was a, a jackal weapon, which was called the Spear of Light. He doesn't have that at the moment, so Oaken <laughs> can't actually practice his vice or indulge his vice at the moment. Sorry. Not until we get the spare back. We totally will. It'll be fine. It'll go really yeah. smoothly. I'll, I'll probably be like a little bit gentle on that and like. If you need to indulge your vice, we will consider like practicing generally, or you can discuss what that looks like. I'll just give you a broom handle that we've whittled <laughs> to a point. <laughs> not the same. It's not the same. Okay. So, shall we jump back into it? Oh, actually, before we do, I think Steve has found uh, who the playbook is by, which is uh, it's the Shriek playbook by Zalgiri. So, Oaken, you wake up and these four people are hovering over you how does oaken react what what do you say or do i think oaken is very used to waking up and either no one is there or waking up and someone's trying to kill him instantly (laughs) okay so i think oaken would immediately shriek and try to stab them with his spear which luckily he doesn't have who do you try to stab who took the lid off Oh, I believe I took the lid off. <laughs> I will try and stab you, but definitely fail. What does this look like? Is it like you just moving your arm it's, to do it? or Yeah, it's literally me just like pointing at them. <laughs> <laughs> I think Ezra just like silently points at themselves, looking really confused <laughs> and then like looks around at the other three. Um, who who are you? And why are you in this box of weapons? Can, can you get out of the way, please? I thought it was bloody well meant to be swords in ya. <laughs> Are you just like turfing Oaken out and rooting around underneath him? <laughs> I think Ezra, yeah, is just like solemnly reaching into the box to like feel underneath Oaken. I think I'm still trying to, I'm, I'm like doing the flourish, the spear flourish <laughs> again and again, like, come on, <laughs> come on. I think Nia is trying to glow a little brighter to see if maybe... There's something they just can't see yet, because this certainly isn't what's supposed to be in the box at all. There's there's nothing underneath. Uh, I think, Ezra, you kind of tap around at the bottom, and yeah, it's just wood. Whatever you were sent to collect, it seems to be maybe this person. Have we got the wrong box? I, have, we, have we ambushed the wrong people? I think we must have. This This doesn't... This is not weapons. Ezra is going to hold the hand that was pointing at themselves solemnly up in the air for silence. Do a big, slow, clearly calming themselves down, inhale, and then look around and say, 
Fuck! <laughs> I think that as Ezra's doing that, Ivar's going to turn around now and actually face the cart, and all of his eyes are going to rotate around and face towards Oaken. Okay, how weird is this group by local <laughs> standards? Probably not that weird. I imagine the um the ghost is pretty is pretty weird. Oh uh, yeah, I guess they're like yeah. around, but you wouldn't see them interact that much. And I guess ghosts would normally, if they're manifesting or spending lots of time on people, try and keep their tail a bit hidden. And this ghost is not. <laughs> can Oaken grab at the eyes? Can I grab one of the eyes? I don't know. Can you? Is Oaken able to like touch them? Probably not. I'll probably try and grab one and just go straight through it. <laughs> Your hand just sort of like waves through it. Hey, friend. Look, I'm I'm sorry we woke you up, but you can't just go attack like attacking people like that. Um. Yeah, I absolutely can. Don't you know who I am? <laughs> <laughs> no, mate. Uh, you're you're a hobo who's in our box. I'm going to do the, like, you know, one foot up on the box and jab myself in the chest be like, I'm Oaken. No, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure you're not. I've, I've, I've seen him. He's like, well, he's, he's taller than you, if, if you don't mind me saying. Um, you're a bloody weapon, mate. You've got a move, haven't you, Nia? Oh, yeah, I do. So Nia is able to tell if anyone's lying. Oh, jeez. It doesn't turn off, I don't think. You can always tell when someone is lying to you. So, yeah, Oaken's not lying. This person who stood in front of you, this scruffy person, is telling the truth, or at least thinks they're telling the truth. He, um, he really believes he's Oaken. There's no lying. Nah, nah, Oaken's bloody 12 foot tall, isn't he? I mean... <laughs> He might just think he's Oaken, but he's not lying to us. Well, he might think he's a fucking horse, but it's not going to help us, is it? Um, I think around this moment, how I'm kind of imagining this is you're all stood looking at the cart. Oaken is stood at the cart and is looking at all four of you and down the street as well. And I think this is the moment where the reinforcements arrive. I think Oaken is the person that sees them first. I think what you see is you see a group of, I think, four people. There are three people dressed in, I guess, just like an assortment of clothes. If you imagined a merchant militia, they're all carrying different weapons and armour. There's no sort of uniform there, or uniformity. And they're led by one person who stands at the front who is wearing dark black lace that's kind of formed into waves, into like subtle patterns of waves, with like a black jacket over the top. And they're carrying a bismuth shield and one of the spirit guns. And they have like purple hair tied into bunches and they step forward first. And what you see, Oaken, as they round this corner is you see her raise her gun, and she points it at the back of... Who is the most noticeable out of your group? It's Nia, right? 100%. It is absolutely Nia. <laughs> uh, um, Nia is currently glowing, so... <laughs> yeah. 
So yeah, you watch this Oaken. She steps on the corner. She weighs the situation up in an instant, points the gun at the back of Nia's head, and is about to shoot Sam. Do, do I have um, an option to push Sam out the way? Yeah, wh- whatever you want to do. What do you do? I think that would be the automatic reaction. I think Oaken... He's a decent person at heart and also loves to be the hero, so... Yeah, and you've also got your, like, ability as well, your jackal one, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a good time to use that. Back into jackal mode. I imagine this is, like, a situation where it'd be difficult to do it normally? Yeah, I think this is the comfort zone. This is the training kicking in, right? Yeah. So are you pushing yourself to push Nier out of the way? I am. Okay. Um, so when you push yourself, you spend two stress, I believe. And I don't think this is a roll or anything. I think you do this automatically. I think it's more interesting for this to just work, and then we'll go from yeah. there. Yeah. So what does this look like? What does your ability to move around the battlefield in a superhuman way look like? Is it you're very fast, or is it you're disappearing, or what? Yeah, it's almost like they're juddering, like you're watching them through a fan or something. Does that make sense? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they just move extremely quickly? Yeah, you just kind of see skips of them. <laughs> like their frame rate is too low or something. Yes. I was like, <laughs> okay, I can't use a gaming or an anime <laughs> reference. So <laughs> That makes sense. Okay, yeah, you, you move very quickly and pull Nia out of the way, and we see... This person who is called Altara, Altara Nim Schiff, uh, she fires her gun and it's this, I think the guns in this almost look like those sort of medieval guns where they're sort of long. They don't necessarily look like pistols as we know them. They're sort of like long metal mm-hmm. sticks with like a heavy ball on the end of the handle. And it sort of fires like an arc of lightning that is sort of pinkish and amber. And it like almost lazily lashes out towards Nia. What? And you managed to push same out the way. Just in time for this to just kind of go past. The rest of you, you all see this scruffy man just jump across this alley with superhuman speed. And you also see these four people round the corner. What is everyone doing? Shit, cops, run! <laughs> cool, cool, cool. Having a, having a totally normal one. Um... I assume we've kind of all at least know each other a little bit before this. This, I guess, is a question for Ziz and Ash. Who would you say would I perceive as being a better fighter? Out of the two of us? Out of the two of us? Why why us? Because I need one person to help me carry a coffin, which leaves another person free to take care of this with Ivar. Well, I can oh. do neither of those things. Uh, yeah, I know. You're both you're both rubbish at both of these things. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Nia is more distracting, I guess. So I think Ezra is just going to like get down on one knee and shove one hand under the coffin and be like, Ash, give me Anduit box. Nia, take care of it. Ivar. And then just like nod. While Nia's just kind of looking around going, what? Who? What? Uh, right we are then. <laughs> Ash, get bloody box. Uh, okay, okay, okay. Um, all right. Are you grabbing the box and running? Yeah, because I think for us, it probably hasn't sunk in yet that there is nothing in this box but yep. oaken. <laughs> definitely, definitely. So they're definitely going to take it with them. <laughs> yep. Of course, yeah. yeah. That makes sense, because oaken 
It's confusing. It's a disappointment. This this can't possibly be it. There's an entrance to the cut, just just uh, just a little way. Um, come on. I think Ezra grimaces a bit because they hate the cut. Because, all right, all right, all right, and then just keeps muttering to themselves as they go. So yeah, Ivar, Oaken, Nia, what are you what are you three doing? Um, does Nia have any obvious weapons I can try and nick? Nia. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Nia would have come armed. Uh, say yeah. probably have. Let's see. Do do do. What do I get? A blade or two, throwing knives, a pistol if you want one. Probably nothing that loud. Okay. Probably like uh, throwing knives. Okay. I think I think nothing personal, but I'd feel better with a knife since my spear's not showing up. So I'm just gonna try and take one off Nia. Nia's pretty confused how like they moved so fast from where they were and how how that even happened. So they're not really paying attention. Yeah, I think you can just take it. Cool. Time to go, beast mode. <laughs> <laughs> so, and Ivar, what are you doing? I think that Ivar's just gonna is going to lean over to Nia and just go, "Can you uh, do a distraction or something? I can uh, probably pick some off from you." Yeah, yeah, that's that's I can do that. Right, we are then. Let's go. I'm imagining at the same time the four people in front of you are kind of fanning out through the alley. Altara was, I think, taken aback by Nia's sudden movement and by Oaken's sudden movement. And I think she's like reloading her weapon, ordering the rest of them to kind of fan out, and they're all kind of squaring up, ready for a fight. I think Altara in particular is now looking at Oaken. I'm imagining her mission was to be the one that picked up Oaken and maybe disposed of him. So oh. she she has someone in sight. Are, are the three of you planning to fight them? Is this is this your plan? I think in my head I had more of a pin them down and then run away sort of thing. That makes sense, yeah. yeah. How does fighting work? Ah! <laughs> I have zero hurting people things. That's all right. You just do a distraction. I'll sort it out. (laughs) One of the ways we can do this is that there's like a whole range of sort of teamwork actions in Blades. And one of them is a group action, which allows everyone to roll one ability and you take the best score from it. So that's kind of what this sounds like. Rather than going into detail and like blow by blow combat, we can just make this one roll and then describe what happens a little bit. So... Who is leading this action, and what do we think we're rolling? I, I think um, Ivar is probably leading. Yes, I definitely agree on that. And to remind people, like, the process of rolling is you say what the goal is. So this is to provide cover, I imagine, and kind of take these people out of the fight before you get away. Yes, we're covering the empty casket. No, it's full of weapons. <laughs> We just haven't seen them yet. We just haven't found them yet. We're covering the most likely empty casket. At the very least, Oaken will have somewhere to sleep. So, um, And then the player states what action rating they want to roll. So what would you like to roll, Ivar? And remember that your allies will be rolling this as well. So Oaken and Nia will be rolling this. 
Wait, wait, wait. We have to roll the same ability that... Yeah. yeah. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. oh dear. <laughs> well, I'm going to be shooting, so I think it's hunt. It could be hunt or skirmish. It's up to you. Like, hunt is maybe more long range. Good. But you could use either. You say what you want to use. Hunt is what I was planning on using since it's my best. Mm. That's fair. It's no one else's, but... <laughs> I've got zero yeah. in either of those, so, you know. So I think this is going to be a risky standard roll. And then everyone decides... What is everyone rolling? How much has everyone got in Hunt? Zero. zero. And Ivar? Right we are then. I've got three. Cool. So the way this works is everyone rolls their stat. If you want, you can push yourself as standard to give you plus one dice. So the way zero dice works is you roll two dice and pick the lowest. If you push yourself, that'll give you one dice. You'll just roll one dice and whatever that is, that is. You can also take a devil's bargain if you want. But I'm not sure what that would be in this moment. So is anyone pushing themselves? Uh, yes. Ooh. I don't think I will. Okay. So Ziz, uh, you take two stress for pushing yourself. Great. Are you activating your ability as well to produce a strong light? Yeah. Yeah, okay. So, yeah, what, what's your highest dice, everyone? Our highest dice is a f- minus for five. Yeah. I got two fives. Nice. I got a one. Okay. <laughs> but you tried so hard. I tried so hard. <laughs> so the way this works on a group action is you take the single highest dice. So that's a five. So that's good. Like, that oh. is a success with a complication. However, the person who led the action, which is Ivar, takes a point of stress for everyone that failed. So you will take a point of stress for Nia failing. Okie dokie. Sorry. I tried. <laughs> it's a thought that counts. Yeah. So yeah, on a 4 to 5, you do it, but as a consequence, either you suffer harm or complication occurs, you have reduced effect, or you end up in a desperate position. Because this is like the first score and it's kind of the one to show off, I think... The thing that I'm going to do here is I'm going to give you reduced effect, what this looks like, and feel free to describe and elaborate what your character's doing, is you manage to get away, but you don't really inflict any harm, if that makes sense. You don't manage to stop them, but you do manage to provide cover and get out of there. What does this look like? What are, what are the three of you doing as you get away? I think Ivor sort of rested his gun on his other forearm and is just taking some like controlled shots maybe they're not finding their marks but they're enough to just make the people that are chasing us duck into cover or into a side street that sort of thing I think Nia is prepared for this kind of thing so has a large hood or cloth they can throw over to be a big brilliant flash of light and then basically disappear okay and then run away so say don't necessarily help everyone else say just run in in nia's mind it's more like save blinded the enemy and have no ability to fight so they've done as best they could okay that makes sense maybe say go and like grab their knife and it's not there yeah I like that. So image. blind everyone, gra- go for the knife. It's not there. Go, well, shit. <laughs> in, in Ezra's defense, it was a choice between Ash, who is an actual like teenager and therefore child, or Nia, who Ezra doesn't like very much. Oh. 
Mia likes Ezra so much. Oh, oh no. Love that dynamic. <laughs> what a dynamic. I'm so sorry. Oh, no. But yeah, mm. there's no knife. The only and, thing uh, to do sorry. is throw a blanket over and run. And how is Oaken contributing to this? I'm gonna I'm gonna do an extremely cheesy move. Okay. Um, who is who, what was the name of the leader? Uh, Altara, Altara Nimshif. Ah, those Nimshifs, eh? I I imagine actually one of the things you you would recognise is their bismuth shield has the symbol of Nimshif. Oh, okay. Which is maybe slightly different, but you've seen it recently, I imagine. Do we know what the symbol is for Nimshif? Hmm. Do you have any thoughts on that? It's it's probably got a spear on there somewhere, hasn't it? It could have like his his fancy sun spear on, yeah. like the sun and the dawn and a big oh. spear and shit, like yeah. really going all out. Yeah, that's maybe good. like I think they're like originally from the north and from the coast, so maybe it's got like a fish or something on as well, or like coral. <sighs> that's that's cool. Oh yeah, cor- coral works actually. Like coral sort of surrounding a spear is quite nice. Yeah. But yeah, I think Oaken is going to aim for them and do that move where they throw the knife and the knife like catches their clothing and pins them against the tree. <laughs> yes, yes, I like it. I, I, I think that happens. I think, yeah, we get this image of you all kind of slowly moving back as they all jump into cover. I think the three which are dressed without uniform who you read as being from the Umbral Provenders, they duck into cover very quickly. Their heart doesn't seem as into it as Altara's is. Altara runs a bit further forward, trying to chase you, trying to catch you, and what what pins her to the wall? Is it her cloak or is it something else? I imagine, like, the neck of her cloak kind of thing. Or maybe it just, like, just, it grazes her neck and there's one drop of blood falls down. <laughs> I like the idea that she's got a popped collar, so you get both effects. Oh! It, like, grazes her neck and then a popped collar just, like, gets stuck to the wall. <laughs> I think our camera lingers on her as she really frustratedly, like, tries to pull the knife out and it takes her a couple of goes. And then she pulls it out, throws the knife to the floor, and then by the time she looks around, the rest of you have gone. I guess my question is, how do you do that? Where do you end up? I, I would like to use our special ability, A Fish in the Sea. There will always be someone willing to hide you, gain plus 1d to resist when concealed by a crowd. So I'd like to be a little bit cheeky with that and suggest that a crowd of buildings is a crowd. Ah. <laughs> and I would like us to, to dip into a prearranged safe house, please. Because I feel like we would have contacts in Atrium. Yeah, I think like the people's Republic of Atrium definitely counts as a crowd there will be people around there are houses that you know more or less everyone here would shelter you and know who you were to do that so i think normally this would give you like plus one d to like resist during like a chase scene but i think for this i'm just happy to use it as like a bit of flavor i'm almost sort of imagining it as like ash knows someone who has an entrance to the cut just in their allotment shed or something yeah (laughs) and they've been waiting for us all night that makes a lot of sense. Can uh, can I have a, a quick conversation with Ezra? Like, like, I imagine we sort of arrive at the the safe house with this fucking great box before, like, while the <laughs> others are still doing their cool fighting slash running away thing. Yeah, why not? Um, Ezra, what, what's what's going on? 
Uh, Ezra just makes like a huffing noise and Ash can't see it, I guess, but the box kind of dips up and down as they shrug. It was, it was no, no cat told us about this, right? No cat's never been wrong before. And like, I don't know who that, that guy is, but it doesn't seem much like a, a weapon. We don't see much like Urken either. I've seen Urken. Yeah, me too. On parades. The the, the the statue you know, with all the, the gold and the, 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 the shiny spear. Yeah, it's massive. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you think... Do you think it might just be someone who, I don't know, snuck into a box and fell asleep or something, and then they, they <laughs> transported the wrong one or something? Ash, lad, I can honestly tell you right now, I do not care. So why are we still carrying the box? There's <laughs> just like a... A long, frosty silence. Because, like, it's really heavy. Ezra is just about to start delivering a long, slightly heated, slightly higher-pitched voice than usual lecture on how they're... Why are we still carrying the box? <laughs> Why are we still carrying the box? Because Nilcat told us to carry the box, and because Nilcat's never wrong, and because it will definitely have secrets in it and stuff. And just as they take, like, a big breath to start, I think that's when everyone kind of appears. I think you all cram into this slightly too small allotment shed where the entrance to the cut is. Oaken, have you been in the cut before? Hmm. Have I? So the cut is the great weird labyrinth that has formed under the city because of Kadroya's death. A great spiritual remnant sort of like mess. And the reason it's quite ghost-based is because the path to the to the afterlife, the path for, like, people's spirits to find their way to, like, rest, whatever rest exists in this world, is really messy. So there's lots of ghosts just kind of wandering around there, trying to find their next place. I, I think Oaken's answer is yes, but only when I'm asleep. Oh, nice. So what does the cut look like? In this allotment shed, what does, what does the entrance look like? Ash, do you have any ideas? I think if it's if it's just a, a shed, I think it's just it looks like a very dark shed, and as soon as you step into the into the shadows, you're just instantly in this cavern, this kind of bismuth cavern that's just way way bigger than it ought to be, and like it doesn't matter how much light you bring to the entrance, the 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 shed always looks a little bit dark, and it's the same on the other side. There's just like a little sort of fold in the bismuth, and when you when you get close to it, it just looks like a shadow that never seems to get bright. And is this something that you have to facilitate the other people coming into? No, I think this one's a fairly open one. It's just not many people know about it because it's very hard to spot. Yeah. And what does this scene look like as people go in? Does everyone go in freely? Does everyone just dive in? Or are some people more nervous? I think Ivar starts to relax a bit now that they're out of immediate danger and kind of just starts floating down fair i think nia tries to always look super confident and is a little bit weirded out by the cut still but just strides in a little bit too eagerly mm. yeah i think it's just very much the same they definitely like hate the cut and it's one of those things where Oh, look how much I don't hate this. I'm just going to square up and go really fast and then it will be over. And Oaken? I think 
Oakens will be more reluctant. I think they'll probably pause at the entrance and listen for a second or two. And then nod and walk in. Is Oaken the last person in, or are people going like, hey, you have to go? Is is this almost like Oaken following the rest of the people, or are people making sure that Oaken is coming with you? I think that I think that Ivor goes last. Oh, okay. And and um that he's almost shooing Oaken in. He's like, Right, <laughs> follow the other ones, come on. <laughs> <laughs> and is Ash at the front? Um yeah, I think I think as soon as as soon as they're inside, he probably drops the the box and sidles over as as Ivar comes in and goes, Ivar, why did you bring him? I couldn't leave him in the bloody shed, could I? Why didn't you leave him on the street? He was in the box. We just took his bed. Okay, fair point. Wait, what? <laughs> this this is weird, right? You're talking to a ghost, lad. Come on. Yeah, but that's not weird. This, this... No, never mind. We'll we'll sort it out when we get there. Come on. Okay, fine. I think we close the score of this image of you all just entering the great bismuth maze that's, that is the cut. And we see the end, tail end of this conversation and then I think that's it. So I guess the thing we only slightly hinted at there was who the crew was so before we move into a next phase which is downtime did you want to go over who the four of you are yeah well welcome to the jubilant maybe which is the the name of the crew we're not just on the fence <laughs> about it we are the jubilant maybe end name <laughs> i like the name oh thanks where does it come from uh, it comes from the Jubilee, which is a carousel. And your lair, right? And our lair. And sometimes Ezra's house. So this is the carousel that Ezra worked on? Yeah. Ezra was hired to help figure out the mechanisms on what I think is probably the first carousel. Because I think just before all the tensions started rising, there was probably quite a lot of money being sunk into frivolous pleasure in Embrace. And then uh, the guy who wanted it built decided against it because everything was getting a bit revolutionary. And so now it's just in a shipping warehouse by, by the river, abandoned. And because Ezra had built sort of a little house into the base of it so that they could work really long nights on it, they uh, sometimes just live there now. And so they are letting the jubilant maybe... Use it as a lair. And who are the Jubilant, maybe, in terms of a crew? What crew did you take? We are Radicals. Which is another one of the fan creations. And the crew sheet is by Michael Atlin and Tim Groff. And as a crew sheet, it's sort of described as a crew of subversives, rebels, and guerrilla fighters. And it's sort of focused around almost being the direct action arm of a revolution, or at least that's how we're using it. We want to see something, anything be done, and so we'll do it. And I think the thing I quite like about that is it allows us to put you in quite close relations with some of the other factions who are probably doing the slower, more public-facing stuff almost. So we'll see who you've got relationships with as we go through crew creation. 
but I'm kind of interested in that and seeing how your crew kind of interacts with other people who are wanting revolution in Embrace. Given our combined social skills, I'm going to suggest it is poorly. So we've already been over what your lair is. The other thing that you set at the start is what your reputation is. So I think the eight reputations are ambitious, brutal, daring, honourable, professional, savvy, subtle, and strange. Which one did you pick? We are none of those other ones. We took strange. Yep, seems fitting. I don't think we could be any of the other ones if we tried. <laughs> uh, I don't know what you mean. I'm extremely subtle. <laughs> I don't think we could be not strange if we tried. Yes, that's very fair. Strange just definitely seems to fit. Yes. So the next thing you do in crew creation is establish your hunting grounds. So normally for most crews, it's like, what area of the city do you operate in? We did a little bit of imagining where that would be. But also, as the radicals, you get to choose what sort of issue you're tackling as well. So, like, where in the city are you mainly operating and what issue are we tackling? So we looked primarily at an area that is kind of fairly central to Embrace geographically and also a little bit politically. It's not like hanging out by the castles or cathedrals or whatever, but there's an area that I think we were picturing as a little bit like South Kensington, I think we said. Sort of like very focused on civic institutions and cultural institutions. Yeah, so it's got a lot of sort of civic and cultural institutes. It's like a known place where things happen. It's quite nice, but obviously you turn one or two corners and then it, it isn't anymore and like no one will acknowledge that. It's housed between, I think, Atrium and the Jackals establishment. Is that right? Yeah, sort of, yeah. It's sort of between Atrium, the outer edges of Atrium and sort of north from where the jackals are and then to the west is like the real heart of the city or at least like yeah. where the main cathedral is and where the government is and you're just on the edge of that territory yeah nibbling at the edges of the sort of real seat of political power i think where a lot of mid-level civil servants and whatnot are doing their dodgy deals and stuff because we we target corruption, which is not necessarily strictly in the political sense. I think we're also going pretty hard on kind of worker conditions. So corruption in the factories, as well as corruption in the streets. Yeah, so the four issues you could choose from were poverty, tyranny, corruption and persecution. And corruption felt like the one that kind of sat best with what you want to do. Yeah, I think corruption felt like the one thing that we would all agree on. Yeah. And... It made sense for that to be an issue that Oaken would care about as well. I mean, also we've kidnapped him and he has no choice, but yes. Yeah. And, and the influence of the remnants has swayed Oaken quite a bit. I would say we've kidnapped Oaken's bed. Not necessarily Oaken. <laughs> true, that's true. Oaken came voluntarily. Because the bed went, I guess. <laughs> Just followed his bed. <laughs> <and shot. laughs> For some reason. I mean, if someone did take my mattress and start walking away with it, I probably would follow them. Okay. So when you establish your hunting ground, you make a choice about who you might have annoyed or paid off. 
So as it says in the Blade and Dark rulebook, the entire city is divided among larger, stronger factions. The GM will tell you which faction claims the area, and then you decide how you deal with them. So I'm going to give you two options here. So it's either the council, who are like the city council for Embrace, that you're kind of embroiled with, and they're quite a high tier target, they control the city, they are definitely corrupt, or the other option are the syndics, who are a group of government officials who are embroiled in conspiracy, I think they are probably aligned with the Nim Schiff plot to take control of the city. So I could see either of those being the people that you've kind of run into, either like the council generally or specifically this group of corrupt and self-serving bureaucrats. It definitely sounds like the second one to me. It just sounds a little bit more sort of specific. Like there's going to be a few more like actual things that we can be aware of rather than just like, hey, everyone at the top is corrupt and we're fighting with everybody in the city. Yeah, it feels like maybe maybe through trying to be more actively involved somewhere along the line, someone has told us just enough that we now know something is going on there. And that's like a, a good, strong, active place to resist against rather than the council in general. Because I imagine a lot of us would have sort of complicated ties with the council on local levels. Yeah. So. yeah, and I think the council will be a force that you're generally opposed to. But it does make sense to paint the smaller faction and more interesting faction with some more detail, I guess. So yeah, when you set up your crew and establish your hunting grounds in an area... I, I say which faction is there, so we've established that the Syndics are also operating in this area, and I imagine they're maybe running minor scores and, you know, running protection rackets and stuff like that. So you as a group decide how you want to deal with them. You can pay them off, giving them one coin in exchange for giving you room to work. You can pay the faction two coin as a show of respect and gain plus one status with them. Or you can keep your money and take minus one status with that faction. They're not getting a damn penny from me, <laughs> mate. Hell no. Wait, do we even have any money? Well, we've got we've got two coins, but that doesn't mean that they get any. Yeah, there's our we've coins. We've got an entire box to sell. We've got a whole box. <laughs> uh, so on the factions relations sheet, would someone like to mark that you're at minus one status with the syndics? Yes. So the way faction relations work is they range from minus three to plus three. Plus three is that you're like allies and really in good with them. Minus three at the opposite end means you're at war with them. So minus one kind of means that you're in sort of a place of minor rivalry. You're not necessarily attacking each other, but if you came across each other on a score, you know, you might draw blades. So next step is to choose a special ability, which we've seen. So the special ability you took as your first advancement was a fish in the sea, which is that there will always be someone willing to hide you, gain plus one D to resist when concealed by a crowd. Which I think makes sense, considering what we know about the Jubilant. I think we were picturing this as the extended radical network, so there are contacts that we know, and then even if there aren't, there are symbols we know to look for, and there are keywords that we know to say, and most of the time someone will make us disappear. Yeah, and I think like all crew moves, I'm happy to like read crowd as broadly as possible to make sure it gets used. So it's not just about like a literal crowd of people. It can be like, we are in a place 
where there are people sympathetic to us. And, you know, there might be some places where that isn't true. If you're ever doing a score at, like, the heart of Embrace, that might be more difficult, and you might not have as much access to that move. But most places in the city, especially as things boil over, you're going to find people who are sympathetic to your cause. Yeah, I feel like you're not going to let this move fly vis-a-vis us being on stage before a crowd for execution, unfortunately. (laughs) We'll see how it plays out and how you get there. So, I guess before we go over the last bits, which are about crew upgrades and your lair and stuff like that, I just wanted to point out that we're, like the characters, starting slightly advanced. So you are starting at tier 1 with weak hold, uh, whereas normally you'd start with tier 0 stronghold, so they've kind of advanced one, so they're a little bit more established in the world. And I'm kind of imagining that as like, you've been doing these activities for a while. Yeah, like I think we're an established crew. And then the next thing we need to do is crew upgrades. So you've chosen out which ones you wanted to take. Did you want to go over what they are? Yeah. So our primary upgrades are for the lair because we have a carousel. So amazingly, we have taken the attribute hidden and secure and also workshop. Our argument for this is that the carousel was built in a dockyard warehouse by the river for ease of transportation and then everything fell through financially and no one uses that warehouse anymore. So it's kind of hidden. If you if you know it's there, you know it's there, but otherwise pretty hidden. As much as you can hide a carousel. And I think hidden in this also allows you to move it if someone finds the location, which is definitely possible for a carousel. Wait, what? <laughs> we'll figure that out as and when. <laughs> <laughs> and it might come into like some of the cut stuff that Ash can do as well and Ivar. We'll, we'll figure it out. Uh, we also took an upgrade for Resolve. Don't know what that means. It's the, the Resolve training. So whenever anyone spends a downtime action to train in any Resolve skills, you get bonus for it. You get two ticks instead of one. Okay, that makes sense. We are pretty dedicated to our cause. And we took one in Tools for plus one quality for demolition and tinkering tools. And then the final upgrade we took was Radical Rigging, which is two free load of tools or documents. So we didn't go into it with this score, but normally when we start a score, each player will choose how much load they're carrying. And that might be that they have light load, which is not a lot. They might have a couple of items on them through to like heavy load, and it affects how they look, whether people will be able to tell that they're you know, carrying weapons or not, or carrying tools. And this allows them to have two free load of tools and documents. So the thing that you get to do when you assign your two upgrades is I tell you about two factions that are impacted by your choices. One faction helped you to get an upgrade, they like you and you get plus one status with them. At your option you may spend one coin to repay their kindness. So I think the group I was maybe going to assign this to, and this is maybe with like your radical rigging, are either the Dodgers, because they probably have this kind of equipment themselves, or the Union of Tanners, who we saw in like the Atrium world building, who are the, the Tanners that kind of broke away and like started this strike off. I guess the third option here is you could take Atrium more generally, so the People's Republic of Atrium, which I imagine both of these factions fall into as a bucket. Yeah, maybe People's Republic of Atrium makes sense. Yeah. Is it the People's Ward of Atrium? People's Ward of Atrium, sorry, yeah. As a as a as an idea, my my family are tailors. Okay. Like Ash was pretty much radicalized through his family, so 
maybe this is like some kind of cool rigging that, that my uh, my family have put together for us. Yeah, makes sense to me. Sounds mm-hmm. good. So you start with plus one status with that faction, and if you want, you can spend a coin to repay their kindness and take plus two status with them instead. We do only have two coin. I like giving them money much better, much more than I like giving the the, the other faction money. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, the syndics can go get stuffed, but yeah, do you want do you want to spend a coin? I'm a ghost. I don't need anything. So... <laughs> <laughs> don't need worldly possessions. Got my ghost gun. I'm good to go. <laughs> good to ghost. All right. Let's say we have financially supported the People's Ward of Atrium. Okay. Heck yeah. So you get plus two status. Secondly, one faction was screwed over when you got an upgrade. They don't like you, and you get minus two status with them. At your option, you may spend one coin to mollify them and take minus one status with them instead. So I think the upgrade I'm going for here is the tools that you chose, like the uh, improved tools, because I think that's the most stealable. And what I'm imagining, because you've all got guns on your playbook, and they're probably the spirit guns that were seen in Embrace, those are the tools that you've taken from this faction. So I think the faction you've taken it from are the League of Gunsmiths? Ooh, we done robbed a gunsmith. That's a poor choice. So, personally, I'm in favour of, like, extremely polarised loyalties and and kind of relationships with factions, just because it gets us off on a very dramatic wrong foot with as many people as possible. I also feel like who we are as people and as a crew, we're maybe not interested in mollifying people. Like, we probably gave some money to the People's Ward of Atrium because we believe they're doing the right thing. The League of Gunsmiths is nothing to us. Yeah, Yeah, totally. And you're all happy with that to be how you got your guns? Sounds good to me, definitely. Yeah, I guess we just robbed him. I died with mine in my hands. That's fair, that's fair. <laughs> ghost gun. Lothar's gun is literally a ghost gun. You can pry it from his coat. Oh, no, no, you can't. I'm taking these with me to the other side. Uh-huh. Fuck all of you. <laughs> good, good. So the last thing you get to do is you get a favourite contact. Who did you choose? Oh, we chose Nilcat, obviously. For fans of these flimsy rituals, colon, tiding, Nilcat, in the future, is a mechanic who travels with the parish and is very handsome. The best boy. The best boy. In the current past-present, Nilcat is a union leader. And is also very handsome. He's still handsome. We have not specified for which union. But we have specified that he's not allowed to die because he appears in the future, which is good, because we love him. (laughs) So I'm imagining that... He is working for one of the factory unions, maybe one that Ezra used to work in. Yeah, that that makes sense, because I think Ezra has a long-established history of pining with Nilcat that would require many years of contact. But yeah, like with your crew upgrades, this also impacts who you're friendly and unfriendly with. So one faction is friendly with this contact and you get plus one status with them, and one faction is unfriendly with this contact and you get minus one status with them. So I think the faction that Nilcat is more broadly a part of is called the Ginnolds, and they are a group of revolutionaries from the northeast of the city, from a place called Calvary Ward, which I'm imagining as a network of tiny streets that sort of bleed into the cut in real ways. 
And imagining this place is like a very working class district. It's lots of small housing with too many people in. It's lots of factories. And the Ginnels are a broad revolutionary movement who are starting to raise trouble across Embrace, who are starting to encourage other people to strike, who are starting to like unite unions into like one broad goal. So yeah, I think you get plus one status with them. And who hates him and how dare they? So I think there are two options here. So one option is the Masters of Key and Field, which is the governmental body that oversees like the harbours and farms of Embrace. Particularly, they run a lot of factories. They give permissions to guilds. They oversee trade into and out of the city. And they might hate him because he's been disrupting a lot of their work and like causing strikes and sort of rabble-rousing and things like that. And for similar reasons, the other people that might hate him are the Swifts, who are sort of the police in this city. So it's up to you. Do you want to have minus one status with the guilds or the masters of Key and Fields or the Swifts? Definitely the police. ACAB. Yeah. And then your final option is, at your option, these factions are even more concerned with this contact, and so you take plus two and minus two status instead. Ooh! Where do you want to start? Anyone fancy a plus two, minus two? Yeah! Yeah, let's just go big. Go big or go home, right? Yeah! And that's your crew. Woo! So, just to go over what your current status is with other factions? We are... Plus two with the People's Ward of Atrium, the district that walled the rest of Embrace out, and with the Ginnels, the revolutionary heart of the city. And then we are at minus one with the Syndics, who are doing some sort of as yet unspecified shady political business. And minus two with the Swifts. Fuck the Popo. <laughs> Perfect. So this is who you've joined, Oaken. I'm sorry. (laughs) That sounds good. We're perfect. In every way. I think we close on a brief image of that canal side warehouse that you described. It's dark, barely lit. The buildings here showing signs of their disuse. We can see in the foreground of our shot, catching the light of Embrace's fragmented constellations. The Jubilee, that carousel that Ezra built, that forms the jubilant maybe's home. And as we watch this still scene, we slowly come to realise that somewhere in the centre of this dockyard, A thin line has appeared, gently glowing. A crack in the air. And out from it, ash first and then one by one, steps the group of radicals known as the Jubilant Maybe. Maybe.